All right, so we are in a, just a little mini-series. This is a, a very little, little quick little hop, skip, and a jump before we get to Advent, which is the final, uh, the lead final Sunday in November, November 28th. Uh, and you'll see on that announcement video that we're having an Advent dinner that night. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that, it's an old event that we didn't get a chance to do last year. And hopefully you can come to that. Dinner will be served. It'll be a lot of fun. But this little two-part mini-series, Jerry, uh, in his gracious way, he was like, hey, you want to do a two-part mini-series? I'm like, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. So you get me in this week and next week. So I expect, I've taken attendance. So I expect to see everyone here next week as well. No. Uh, but, um, and, and I was, I was like, yeah, this is great. But there is a, a, an overwhelming challenge with, with just two weeks. It's kind of one of those things like, okay, we've been talking about a lot of stuff this year. Uh, preaching through the scriptures kind of ended, and then we went into um, the simple series, and then we went into who you say I am, there, there they all are, we ended with that word sent, and, and it's just like, okay, what, what could be a nice little bow on all of that before we get into to Advent? And it has been on my heart, it's been on the leadership's heart, I know, of this church, I think it's been on a lot of hearts of a lot of churches everywhere as we kind of move through these next stages of, of the pandemic, this up and down, this, uh, you know, the cases are up, the cases are down, this is that, and all that uncertainty that's going on. What, what does the church need to hear? What does Bethel need to hear? And I focus this, this two-part message on, on scent. It's the last of the who do you say I am, you are sent into the world. And so we heard the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me, Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples. And if you remember, Jerry did an excellent job, and he, and he, he what's called parsed out, he told us what that word go means. It doesn't mean that you just go, in terms of like you need to go to some far off land, or you need to do whatever. I mean, if you do that, and that's your call, to go to some far off land, great, that's amazing, and you can be Christians and witnesses and, and all the things in that far off land, but really and truly the subtle emphasis of the Great Commission is as you are going, meaning your everyday walking lives. As you wake up in the morning and you put those feet on the ground, the everyday walking life, how, lives, how do you live your lives out as people who are children of God, a new creation and redeemed, who are called with a purpose and empowered by the Holy Spirit with gifts to go and do those things. How? How do we live our as-you-are-going lives? Now that in itself is at least a 12-part sermon series, if, uh, just, you know, just to start. But we're going to jam that into two weeks. So today may be about an hour, hour and a half, give or take a few minutes here in terms of what we're going to look at. But no. So we're going to look at this in terms of, of how to live out our sent lives. And the, this morning, the, I'm going to focus on the aspect of, of witnessing. Have any of you ever been a witness? A witness that had been called into a courtroom. If you're allowed to raise your hand to say that you're a witness, how many people have been a witness in a courtroom setting in this room? Okay, very good, very good. All right, I have never been able, to, never been called to do that, but I've witnessed it. And for reasons uh, for, for confidentiality, I can't go into it too much in terms of this court case. Uh, some of you know, some of my story will know what I'm talking about and I can share later, not on a live stream. But, uh, but I have witnessed uh, a murder trial in terms of, uh, of that. And, and the defendant 
when the defense was ready to do their part, if you know, like if you ever watch court dramas on TV, I don't know if it's true, but usually the prosecution goes and then the defense goes and then that's how, how it goes. So when the defense, it was their turn to present the case. Part of what their, their job was during this situation was to present character witnesses for the defendant. And what the character witness was supposed to do, the character witness was supposed to come up on, on the stand and give testimony, eyewitness accounts, that this defendant is of upstanding moral character and I can share with you the events, the experiences, the proof that this person is a good person and couldn't possibly do the charge that has been levied against them. So in this particular court case for this particular defendant, we had over 30 people who were character witnesses at the courtroom ready to take the stand. And what happened behind closed doors, I don't know how it all happened, the judge came back out and said to the jury, there are 30 people here, we're only going to hear five of them because of time. And not only are we only going to hear five of them, they're only going to answer two questions. The two questions are, do you know this defendant, how do you know this defendant kind of thing. And the second question is, can you testify that this defendant is of upstanding moral character? Yes or no? And that's it. So one by one, they all kind of came in, all five of them, and then they stopped that part of the character testimony. Now, what's the problem with that? If you're only answering two questions that this defendant is a, yes, I know them, and they are a good person, the jury has not had any chance to really get to know who this person is. The jury doesn't get a chance to know through eyewitness accounts, through recollections of stories by valid people that this person is an upstanding, good, moral person. All they know is that they know them and that, that their word against ours is that this is a good person to, that, that wouldn't do such a thing. We are character witnesses of Jesus Christ. And if witnessing the good news of Jesus Christ was only that simple interaction with people. Yes, I know Jesus, and he's great. If that was what our witness was, again, we leave a world to determine our word against theirs of whether or not Jesus Christ is all he's cracked up to be, whether or not Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords, whether or not Jesus Christ came to save them against their sins. And yet, all too often, that is the amount of our witness, isn't it? I grew up in an age where there's three things that you didn't talk about, politics, money, and religion. There's a fourth one, but we're going to keep it PG. So those are the things that we don't, that we don't necessarily talk about, right? And so that's kind of, that gets played out in the world a little bit. And so when people talk about, about their faith and things like that, now there are folks who, who do this well, who witness well, and I would implore those folks that are in the church to teach folks how that happens, to show that and to demonstrate that. Because there are people, even in this room, I can look around and I know by name folks who witness and as you go very, very well. But a lot of us, if we're being honest, probably take a step back and we don't necessarily live that out to the point where people can look at you and say, wow, something's different about Mike. Something's different about the guy in accounting. Something's different about this salesperson because of the way that they talk and the way that they act and how they pray and how they interact and how they love other folks. We kind of, we take a little bit of a step back on that and there's various reasons for them for why that happens. Some of the reasons could be 
we struggle with the fact that good news is good. That the good news of Jesus is actually good. Some of it could be that we struggle with our own inadequacies. We're not smart enough. We're not eloquent enough. We don't know the scriptures well enough. And therefore, I'm not even going to open up my mouth for fear that they're going to say something that I don't have an answer to. And so we don't, we don't, we don't say anything. Some of it is we just live self-centered lives and like, this is my path. I have my family. I have my job. I'm going to stay on it. Church is a thing that I do to make me happy and, and to give me at least a little bit of a moral compass. And that's the way that it is. But that's not what our call is. Our call, if we profess that we are redeemed a new creation child of God, there is a call on our life to share that and walk in a manner worthy of that call to share that good news with other people. And so we need to wrestle with the reasons why we possibly don't do that. Why do we fail to take the stand as witnesses for, the Christ, for Jesus Christ in such a way that people would look at us and say, yes, I want to know more about who Jesus is. What is a witness? If you ever had a pastor get up here and say, uh, say, you know, what is the definition of a word? You can know without a shadow of a doubt that two, three days ago we sat at our desk and Googled that, right? So, we went, so I Googled what is the definition of a witness? Well, the definition of a witness as a noun is someone who has first-hand eyewitness knowledge, a first-hand account of something that has happened, an action or an event. Uh, to use it as a verb, uh, it would be having knowledge of an event from a personal observation and experience, experiential knowledge. Jesus, in the book of Acts, says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses, my firsthand experience, my eyewitness account people who are going to go out into the world and witness, share your experience with others so that they know who I am. And that little statement was for that 12, but it has future implications for anybody else who calls themselves a redeemed child of God. That we too are eyewitnessed witnesses <laughs> to witness to the account of who Jesus is. Now, now what, is, what is the struggle with that statement for you and I? What's the struggle? Anyone know? A witness has eyewitness accounts. What's the struggle? Come on, shout it out. We do not have an eyewitness account. You're like, oh, I knew it. No, we do not have an eyewitness account. That could be another reason why we don't share the way that we should share, that we don't live as you are going, is because we didn't see it with our own eyes, and therefore there, there comes some doubts then. I, I think it's true. I believe it's true. I've seen it kind of in my life a little bit, but I'm not 100% sure. But Christ has said to us all, you will be my witnesses. Anyone that's a disciple will be the witnesses of the death, resurrection, the internal gift of salvation in Jesus to all the world. And so for you who don't have an eyewitness account, how does that happen? How can you witness with such authority as someone who has first-hand knowledge? And the answer to that is through the Holy Spirit, you have had first-hand knowledge. 
So let me dive. Let's dive. Let's get into this. Let's get into the to the to the mire here. So, in order for scriptures, because this is a big deal in the New Testament, it is a big deal for believers to understand that their lives, be they in Rome, Corinth, be they in Thessalonica, however you want to pronounce it, be they wherever they are, their job, their call in life is to first and foremost remember who Jesus is, to love their God, first greatest commandment. Their call is to remember that part and to walk in a manner worthy of the call, sharing their gospel, sharing the gospel of Christ, witnessing to people what they have received. That is the one-two punch of all of those letters. Everyone, anyone who professes a faith, this is what God has called you to do. And that call has not changed. So how do the letter writers, Paul, Peter, James, everyone that's written New Testament letters, how do they explain that? How do they remind that, convict that of believers that that is what they are supposed to do? To profess that Jesus is Lord and to witness and live their lives out so that people would understand that. The first thing that all these letter writers do in some fashion is they remind in their letter from the onset the readers what it is they have witnessed. They take the time, the painstaking time in their letter to remind their audience, remember what you have witnessed. Why? Why do that? It seems very repetitive. For readers of scriptures, as we read through the scriptures, you think, okay, okay. How many people read through the New Testament letters and begin to kind of gloss over the first opening lines? You're like, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. And you go into to the rest of the stuff. But each of these letters do that. They take the time to remind the, the people of what they have witnessed. Why is that? Well, very, very, truly, truly, the easiest statement is up there. We are fallen, broken, and sinful. As, uh, as, as individuals, we're in intelligent. As a group of people, we're a bunch of morons sometimes, right? And so, I'm sorry, it is. It's the truth. And so these letter writers are addressing a group of people, and it's like, you need to remember, first and foremost, before you do anything, what you have witnessed and why you are different. Think of the old Testament. It's not a new thing. That's all New Testament stuff. The Old Testament, you think of the Israelites, right? This is an age-old example. The Israelites, they were held in captivity in Egypt. Were they not? Oh, it's very, very bad. And God rose up Moses and said to Moses, okay, you're going to let my people go. You know, the people are going to leave. And Moses is like, okay, fine. And then God rains down plagues on the Egypt. And the Israelites, they see this. They see the frogs and they see the locusts. They see all the things that are happening. And thinking, wow, this is crazy, right? And then the Pharaoh says, okay, Moses, you can go. Take your people. And the people are like, okay. And they take their stuff and they walk out and just think like, you know, don't, don't look back, right? And so they go. And what happens? Pharaoh wises up and he's like, why? Why did I let my slave labor go? This was a bad idea. Sends his chariots out to go after the Israelites. The Israelites see the chariots coming and they blame Moses and they blame God. They say to Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here in the wilderness to die out here? It would have been better to die over there. Forgetting everything that they have just witnessed. 
And so then God works through Moses and the staff and the parting of the Red Sea, walls of water, very, very impressive stuff. And the Israelites go and they are saved and the waters come crashing down on Egypt. And everything is great, wonderful, hunky-dory. They witness the cloud. There's a cloud in the Old Testament that hovers over them, that goes behind them and protects them and leads them. They witness the Ten Commandments that come down. They witness all of that stuff. And then what happens when the going starts getting tough? They fashion gold together, and they put a little cow thing. They're like, well, that looks like a great god. Let's, let's, let's follow that. They completely discredit all the things that they have witnessed. They completely dislodge the truth of what they have witnessed for the circumstance that is presently before them. Let me say that again. They completely dislodge the truth of what they have witnessed and experienced for the circumstance that is presently before them. How many of you have ever been in that situation? Have had a present circumstance that just dislodges the truth of the gospel of what you have witnessed? I think of death of a loved one. I think of families broken. I think of jobs lost. I think of lots of things. I was down with the students at, um, at their, our students are are down, or up, excuse me, they're up in Huron someplace, cold. It's like freezing cold. They're on the water. I'm like, this is bananas, but okay. So that's where they're at. And I had to give a talk. I got, excuse me, I got to give a talk. Jordan invited me to do that to speak about doubts, having doubts, what it's like to have a doubt. And, I, and I, my, my message to them was to get them to understand the difference between doubts and denial. Because the book of James talks about don't doubt, you're a double-minded man, and the mess with you. But the idea of, of, of having a moment with God, uh, an interaction, a, you know, we're not on good terms, we need to kind of talk this out, versus completely outright denying. And I shared with them a story of when I dislodged the truth of what I had experienced because of my present circumstance. For, for us, it's our story, Carrie and I's story, of the first miscarriage that we had. And we, I've shared that with you all, and oh, I don't need to go into it again, but the whole idea of the fact of going to the ultrasound a second time, seeing the head and the feet, and it's only the size of a cashew, really, but seeing all of that and then not seeing a heartbeat and how traumatic that is. And then at that night, outside looking at the stars and having a dislodging moment with God to say, how could you? I prayed over that child every night. I had my hand on that belly and prayed and hoped and felt assured that everything was going to turn out great. We had names picked out, the whole thing. How could you? And then in a great, great low point of pride to look at God and say, I work for you. Did you forget? That's an example of a circumstance that has dislodged the truth. So my friends, why does the New Testament writers take the time to remind us all of what we have witnessed? Is because as we go, or as our going life is going to be full of circumstances that are going to seek to get us to dislodge that truth. But the call to go and witness, to be an eyewitness account to folks, remains in spite of the hardships. 
So how does, I'm looking at 1 Peter, and you can open up the scriptures to 1 Peter if you'd like. Uh, I think it's page 1203 in the few Bibles there. Um, are we doing all right with this? I just need to, we're good. This thing likes to pop, you know how it is, and then I have to go do the handheld, and I, I say the same joke that I'm bringing the fire. We all know what it is. Do we need to go down there again? No, okay. Let's look at 1 Peter. This is just an example. 1 Peter has a lot of great examples of what it means to live an as-you-are-going life, to, to witness to folks. And so what does 1 Peter do is he opens up his letter. In verse 3, chapter 1, he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just stop there for a moment. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever greeted somebody like that? Nay, have you ever woken up and put your feet down on the ground and be like, God, I bless you. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And start your day from that vantage point. Has that ever happened to you? If you're like me, I have three young children, that never happens. <laughs> it never happens. I mean, this, I mean, I love them. They're blessings, and they are. I, I mean, I'm not complaining about it at all, but I'm just thinking of this morning. This morning, I had to preach, leading worship, the whole thing. It's a very, very busy morning. And so I got up early. I was a little bit later than what I wanted, and I'm looking over my message and making some changes and things of that nature that I do on that Sunday morning. And then as I look at the time, I'm thinking, oh, goodness, I am late. I still need to get myself ready, and then I help carry out because Carrie's got the youngest and she's getting herself ready and feeding the youngest, which means that I have the other two. The family doesn't care that I have to preach. As much as I remind them, I'm like, you all know I have to preach. And Carrie's like, uh, I work here too. So, but anyway, so, so we're getting all that together. And it's just so funny because anytime that you're late and you have small children, they don't care that you're late. In fact, they trudge ever so more in the fact that you're like, we need to get going. So I have this like interaction with my children when I'm supposed to be having Jesus' thoughts. So I didn't wake up and be like, oh, bless be the Father. I'm like, let's move. <laughs> you don't have to have children have mornings like that. I'm sure everyone in here has had a bad morning or two. And so the first thing that in your mind is you're not thinking, oh, Blessed be the Father. But here's this reminder. Because as we go, we're to be witnesses to the world. And so one of the ways that can help us to not dislodge the truth from our present circumstances is to begin from that vantage point. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the reminder of what you have witnessed. Through the Holy Spirit indwelling in your hearts has caused you to embrace the Savior who has been embracing you. And not only embrace the Savior's embracing you, but do that in such a way with full belief and confession in the truth that Jesus the Christ resurrected from the dead. And because he did that, there is an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and is kept in heaven for you. That no circumstance, no human hand, nothing can touch or affect that. So he's reminding you of the very, very gift of salvation that you have that cannot be taken away by any of those things. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time when it's fully understood 
what it means to be saved. So Peter takes the time and he reminds his audience of that. Why? Because the audience in whom he is writing to are dispersed Christians. They are in, they are in hard times. They are in uncertain times. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know if they're going to be, if this is the day I get persecuted or hauled in because of the faith that I have. And so he takes the time and he begins to explain that to them. Okay, okay, okay. First, in this momentary circumstance that you are in, don't dislodge the truth. Remind yourselves, meditate on, stay with the fact that you have received an inheritance, an imperishable gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And nothing can take that away. No person, no persecution, nothing can touch that. Can you imagine how your everyday walking life would be impacted if we really started the day and just sat on that for a moment before we talked to anybody, before we interacted with anyone, that we are reminded that we are children of God, redeemed by the death of Jesus Christ, a gift that cannot be touched by anything that's going to happen in the next 5, 10, 15 minutes. Imagine how that changes your attitude. Imagine how that changes your focus. Imagine how that changes how you interact with people and how you talk with people. To be witnesses to ready to take the stand for the defense of Jesus Christ, it's first and foremost sitting with the truth of what we have witnessed. And even though you have not seen it, actually Peter says this in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. So Peter even addresses the fact that you may not have an eyewitness account where you physically saw with your eyes, but your heart saw. Your heart has been convicted by the Holy Spirit, and you know the truth of this imperishable gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And that sets you apart. That makes you insufferable in the world when you go through hardships and things like that, and people are like, how do they do it? And, and, and he, hearing you, how you, your attitude in terms of how you pray, and how, it just, people don't get it, but that's the point. To live in a way that folks notice that there is something different than, than in you. And so that leads to the second part of this message. How do we witness? The first part is remembering what we have witnessed. The second part of how you witness is very, very, quite simply taking each and every day and living out the truth in which you know to be true. Simplest way that I can explain this would be through living out the um, fruits of the Spirit. You all know the fruits of the Spirit? Simplest way that I can get to give you something practical of how you, as you go your life, how you live that out as a witness. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if you're going to be a faithful witness as you go, if you're going to walk into any facet of life, be it here in this church, because it could be someone in this room, be it in your neighborhood, be it in your family, be it in some far-off land, the way that you're going to, as you go and walk through life, 
understanding the imperishable gift that you have in Jesus Christ, this is going to show up in how you love other people, that you love people when people are filled with hate towards you. It's going to show up in how you experience joy, that you have joy in the midst of the hardships and in the midst of the trials. Peter talks about that. He says these trials that are coming at you, these trials are for your good. These trials are for you to test your faith, to strengthen your faith, that it would be more than gold itself because gold perishes, but faith does not. So you're going to have joy that supersedes any of those things. You're going to have peace in the midst of when the world is going to H in a handbasket. Right? You're going to have this peace, this understanding that, that, that your hope is secured in, in, in the Lord. Patience when the prayers go unanswered. Kindness when adversity and scorn comes at you. Goodness in the midst of evil and temptation. Faithfulness in the midst of a faithless society. Gentleness in the midst of an age of self elevation and the promotion of, of, your own, of your own desires and self-control when the world wants to watch you slip up. How do you live this witness out? How do you walk in a manner that is worthy of your call? First, you seed it on the truth that you have witnessed and received and you allow that to show up through the power of the Holy Spirit who helps you through these situations and live these things out in the sight of others. And it's not like, I don't want you to think that it means that when you're in the midst of trials, you can't feel pain or sadness. Absolutely, that can happen. And in fact, it may even take you out of the game just a little bit. Does that mean that the Christian witness falls apart? No. We're gathered in community, and so what we need to understand is that when our brothers and sisters are in a point of valleys and deep pain and hurt, the best way that we can witness to them is to love them as Jesus has loved us. Is to love them as Jesus would have loved you, so that when you love them, the world will see how you love each other, and they will know who Jesus is. That comes straight from Scripture. I also don't want you to think that this idea of witnessing is, is that I have to get up, I have to know who the person is that I'm going to go talk to, and I'm going to go talk to that person. That's okay to have that, but that, I don't want you to think that that is, that is the only way to witness. That is a way, but to sit on the nature of as you are going, it's just quite simply just living your life out as a faithful witness to the salvation you have received. And so when you have moments that are presented in front of you, you take those moments and you, you pray with someone who's hurting. You answer a question when someone says, do you go to church? Yeah. And, and you talk about that. You, you hear a coworker who's not a believer who's hurting and you take him out to lunch. Not because you're gonna be like, let me tell you about Jesus. But you take them out to lunch to hear their story and be with them and sit with them in their pain. And, and maybe even pray with them or say that I will pray for you if they don't feel comfortable with that. And you just leave it at that. And then you actually go home and pray for that person. Statistically speaking, an unbeliever I have read needs to hear the gospel seven times or at least witness it seven times. They need to see it and witness it seven times. You may be time number three out of that seven, right? 
And so you just seize the moment, and as you are going, live your lives out as people who understand the imperishable gift of the salvation that you have received. And so that is what I have for you in terms of, of, of what it means to have an as-you-are-going life, this, this first part of this two-part series, is to understand you have been called to the witness stand in life. And no matter what is going on, whatever circumstances that may be happening in your life, to remind yourselves who is God and what God has done for you in his son Jesus. How you have been saved from the pit of your sins, that a God would seek after and chase after you in such a way that grips your heart so that you can have without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves the likes of you. Peter would uh, end with this, as Peter would say, then you would live that out in your lives daily. Honoring Christ and always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. To live it out, honoring Christ as holy. This is chapter 3, verse 15. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. That's what it means to as you go just to have it show up in your life, genuinely, authentically, from the place of assurance that Jesus has saved you. It sounds simple, and yet it's one of those things that we stumble with. A lot of times it's we're wrestling whether or not this is actually true in our lives, and we need to take the moment to do that. But I just cannot convey it to you any more simply. It is just simply, as you walk in life, to live out this light that you have and to do it from a genuine place of heart with gentleness, with mercy and respect, everything that's here in this passage. So I'm going to pray now because my microphone is clicking. So that's either the devil saying, oh, you're touching on something, but most likely it's probably Jesus saying, wrap it up. So let's go ahead and pray, okay? <laughs> Lord, I thank you for this time together and I thank you for this message and and that we would just be reminded that something as big as witnessing, as we think of, of, of heroes of the faith who have done this in such great degree, that I would pray by your Holy Spirit we would see the simplicity of it as well, that it could be just simply having a conversation with somebody, being with them in the midst of what they are going through, praying with them, and that that would be a witness to them to see the hope that you have, that you would hope, that we would hope in you so much that we believe that just by talking to you could bring peace and comfort to someone in the midst of whatever chaos they are in. And so, Lord, empower us to do that, to be bold and courageous to do that this week, to seize the opportunities to, to really be the light for somebody so that they may see the hope that is in our hearts and come to know you. May we live as if we are the seventh time that someone hears the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.